right now. It's like they know the trim of all the private planes for, that are heading from Ma- Max Westheimer to the state of Utah. It's uh, it's pretty incredible, but that's the the big question today. Where was Brent Venables last night? Where was Kale Gundy last night? Have they, we found? Do we know that it's Utah for sure? Have we have we found that out already? Brent Venables was on the in-home visit with Jackson Dart, mm-hmm. so that was a thing. Hey, who knows, Tyler? Maybe Jackson Dart comes back to Norman on the plane with Brent Venables, and Sooner Nation cobbles together a welcome party like they did when Venables himself arrived, and that's how they welcomed their <laughs> yeah. new quarterback. Which would still be uh, – the, the the reception that would be at the airport here would be about ten times more impressive than what Muleshoe landed at uh, out there in L.A. when he first got the USC job. Was right? there anyone on the tarmac waiting for him in L.A.? Uh, I think there were about two or three people out there in the tarmac that were waiting oh, for okay. him. Which will look very similar to his uh, attendance at football games next year. No, that's – hey um, – they should tell, or if I was Jackson Dart, that's what I'd tell Brett Venables. I'd be like, hey, man, I will commit to you on the spot. I will come to OU. I just want to be able to say I did it on the private jet flying back to Norman. And maybe that's against the NCAA rules. I don't know. I say screw the NCAA. Um, go get your man. Go fly out there and don't come back until he's on that private jet with you. That right there. That's the Joe Castiglione way. That would be baller status if he uh, if he were to commit Right there on the spot via the the private jet. That'd be sweet. Now, I, Jackson Dart, Michael Trigg, got to be the main story today, especially for a show like this one that is uh, really locked in on football and, and locked in on recruiting. Um, let me ask you. Let me ask you this though: before we get into percentages and timeline and all that, what's the plan? Is there a plan right now? Because we've heard all along that OU wants to bring in another quarterback via the portal. If not Jackson Dart, then then who? then who's the quarterback they bring in? I mean, do they even know the I answer mean, to that? Okay, at that point in time, I think there are two answers. There are two guys that Sooner fans should have their eyes on. One, and I hate to speak his name, is JT Daniels. Wow. Is he going to shave that like, mustache before he gets here? I hope so, man. But whenever Jackson Dart ultimately ends up committing – JT Daniels is at that point the most coveted commodity on the transfer market in terms of quarterbacks. But here's the but, Tyler. If Jackson Dart commits to Ole Miss, I think there is more than a likelihood that Luke Altmyer would hit the transfer portal. And whose offense does Luke Altmyer know? Jeff Lebby's. Man, if you keep up serving these types of questions today, I'm going to knock them all out of the park, man. And there you go. And so, look, if Luke Altmaier ends up hitting the portal, I think there's a real good chance OU makes a play for him. But that's not a foregone conclusion. So we're gonna Again, be... I think that only happens if Jackson Dart ends up at Ole Miss. So the Jackson Dart, uh, Dart drama uh, ends and he goes to Ole Miss, and then we got to start all over again with, like, another quarter. Like, oh, my God, how long are we going to have to sit here and monitor the portal for the second quarterback to come in? Well, it listen, feels like Tyler, it's going to be never-ending. Listen, you thought there was no offseason in college football before the transfer portal era. Now there really is no offseason. Now there's no such thing as an off day. Yeah, hey, I, I would. Um, I I want Jackson Dart. I think I speak for everyone in attendance here today, saying that Jackson Dart is priority number one at quarterback. The JT Daniels thing, it doesn't sound bad, um, but I don't think that he's going to leave Georgia, man. And hearing some some people talk out there, Stetson Bennett. He's kind of mulling over if he wants to come back for that sixth season of, of eligibility right, or why, not. Why would he not? 
Well, you he, think he's going to get drafted? Because he it probably doesn't get any better after this. But I, I'm okay, with you. Fair, I, I think that he will. But that's what's so unique about Georgia's national championship this year is anytime a quarterback wins a title and he comes back, he's thought to be the strength of the entire football team. But in this case, that's not really reality. You know, I mean, Stetson Bennett made some big throws in the second half, but he also made some mistakes early on that kept Alabama in the football game. There's a thought that Stetson Bennett may come back for a sixth year. That's probably going to happen. But there's not a whole lot of confidence that he's actually going to win the job come 2022. Thought out there that JT Daniels having an entire offseason is actually going to come through and win that gig. I don't buy that. I don't buy that. I've seen I I have seen enough of JT Daniels to get a gauge on what type of quarterback he is. He lost his job to Keaton Slovis at USC. He lost his job to a walk-on in Stetson Bennett at Georgia. And all of a sudden, I'm supposed to buy that he's going to win the job back from Stetson Bennett in the offseason. I don't buy that, and I think that's why he probably ends up elsewhere. Well, it's not going to be your boy Brock Vandegrift that's oh, winning hell the job no, it's out not. there. Man, that's like no one has like said anything uh, official about that situation. And it's not... It's not true. Like, he's a good quarterback, but, like, some of the things you hear, it's like, dang, man. Um, you talk about a miss of an evaluation of, of that guy being a, you know, legit five-star quarterback by some services. Like, it doesn't sound like it's uh, necessarily worked out that way. He's got good arm talent, and he can spin the ball. He's just a little stiff. That's This is me evaluating him based on what I saw at the Elite 11. And he was probably, of the 20 quarterbacks that were there, he wasn't the worst, not by a long shot. He was probably in that 7 to 10 range. He was pretty mediocre with that competition surrounding him. But, man, the returns on Brock Vandegriff after a year at Georgia, at least from what I've heard, here's the way. I might have said this before on this show, Tyler. The way I heard it phrased from one person close to that Georgia program is that if Brock Vandegriff wanted to get out of town, they would pay for his bus ticket. Jeez, that's harsh, man. Yeah. That's and harsh. now you got Gunnar Stockton coming in. Gunnar Stockton is that dude. Yeah. Gunnar Stockton is going to be Georgia's quarterback of the future when he officially enrolls and gets on campus there in Athens. So I don't know if Brock Vandegriff ever starts a game at Georgia. Yeah, he, he, I, I don't think that he, that he will. Um, but buckle in. Buckle in, everyone, because portal season with the second quarterback that OU wants to bring in, you, you thought it might be over with Jackson Dart, and God willing, it will be over with Jackson Dart. We'll hear by the end of the day that he and Michael Trigg are transferring to OU, and oh, buddy, there'll be some excitement. But if he doesn't, yeah, man, they're, they're going to pursue another quarterback, and it could be another few weeks before we find out who QB number two is heading into this year. Seems like it might be a similar case with, with Caleb Williams. Who was it? Pete Thamel um, came out with the quote today and said that you know, first of all, the the recruiting process the first time took about a year and a half. Um, so the timeline could be as soon as the end of the week. But there's also schools on the quarter system where they could wait until March. They want to see how NFL hires that could trickle down to college Ooh. shake out because they really want NFL training for Caleb Williams to best prepare him for pro football. One of those schools on the quarter system, Tyler, would be UCLA. Yeah. So that's what you've uh, you've been hitting here the past few days, right? Reading between do, the lines there. Do you that's, do you think UCLA is currently the the leader for Caleb's uh, services? Again, if I had to put my chips in the middle right now and you made me bet on one destination, yeah, I think it's UCLA. I'd be interested to hear from the Air Comfort Solutions text line 405-651-3439. 
everyone is like so annoyed at him right now. Everyone's so annoyed at Carl right now. Um, just bringing up the conversation in itself, I'm sure a lot of people rolled their eyes. But I wonder if it softens the blow just a little bit if he goes to UCLA, then ends up putting the 50-burger on USC at the tail end of the regular season this year. And that's the thing, too, is if OU gets Jackson Dart and Caleb Williams ends up at UCLA and the Sooners are able to acquire not one but two high-ceiling transfer quarterbacks and Gabriel and Dart via the transfer portal, then I feel like at that point OU fans probably don't have any more reason to express their vitriol for Caleb Williams and they probably end up rooting for him in 2022, particularly if he is on the opposite sideline from Muleshoe. Yeah, either that or they hope that an, an 0-11 USC team plays an 0-11 UCLA team. and Or I guess it would be what, 0-11 yeah, against 0-11 and UCLA ends the season at 1-11 and USC ends the season at 0-12. Maybe that's it. I don't know. I don't feel like anyone's going to uh, forgive the Williams family anytime soon. Not saying that that should be the case. I'm just saying I, you know, I, I'm not. I'm not sure what the feelings are going to be like towards him. Uh, but yeah, still waiting on Jackson Dart. Still waiting on Michael Trigg. Anybody else at this point that they're waiting for in the portal? You, you got a couple DBs over the weekend that we talked about. Got a kid from Carolina, a kid from Wyoming, um, a kid from Louisville as well, which we'll touch on later on in the show. But anybody else that you're waiting on? Tyler Guyton. Offensive lineman from TCU was in for an official visit over the weekend. Six foot seven, three hundred and fifteen pounds, and get this, Tyler. He made he played and started for TCU this past year as an H back. Nice. So large, athletic, versatile. That's a guy you'd like to have as part of your program. So you're saying uh, if, if he gets brought in and he's probably being promised that they'll throw him the ball at least uh, three times next year down around the goal line? To be fair, he, he only caught one pass at TCU. It was a six-yard touchdown catch, but that was the only pass he caught in 2021. So um, you'd imagine he gets shoehorned into more of a specifically offensive line type of role, but you know, hey, if a guy's got experience catching passes, maybe he uh, gets a gets a look for a fat guy touchdown <laughs> when you get down at the goal line. Um, when's the last time OU had a fat guy touchdown on offense? I know uh, Jalen Redmond had the thick six against Iowa State this year. Has OU ever had a fat guy touchdown drawn up on offense? Boy, you would think this previous era – that that definitely would have been the case. I know. But I, don't, I, can't, I can't think offhand. I, of I don't think that. And, and maybe Chris Chester, that's going back a long way. Yeah, that is going back a long way. But even he was a, like, he ended up as an offensive lineman in the league, but was a tight end at OU. Yeah. So, hmm, that's probably the closest that we can get is like a, a Chris Chester type. Are we overlooking any conspicuous and or memorable fat guy touchdowns over the year? Let us know on the Air Comfort Solutions text line, 405-651-3439. Yeah, yeah please do. Um, it's portal season. It's plane tracker season. It's really kind of all the seasons wrapped up into one right now. But, hey, OU is also trying to solidify a 2023 class right now. It is also recruiting season along with all those others that we mentioned. OU's got a big visitor coming in this weekend. Uh, we'll talk about that and a lot more. Some recruiting talk coming up next. And maybe a current team update. We good with uh, Marvin Mims and Theo Weiss? We'll tell you that on the other side as well. Air Comfort Solutions text line 651-3439. It's locked in right here on The Ref.
Locked in with McComas and Thune right here on The Ref. We're inside the Brown O'Haver studio today. We'll get to the Air Comfort Solutions text line momentarily. 405-651-3439. Oh, uh, Mitch wants to know, uh, he hits us up on Twitter, is Carl Williams the new LeVar Ball? Look out, big baller cleats. If uh, Caleb were to come out next year in his own line, his Caleb Williams brand of cleats, then uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I think the uh, dislike would be even stronger than what it uh, probably is right now. You know that comparison is unfair to just about any athlete's parent because Levar Ball was. I a never franchise. lost. I never lost. He t- talking about beating Michael Jordan in a one-on-one game. That dude was such a clown. Thank <sighs> God we got rid of him off national TV. Lavar Ball, man. I'm so glad that the news cycle shuffled him out. Yeah, other than Skip Bayless being on TV every single day, I would say that all of the national interviews that uh, LeVar Ball was on, probably the most embarrassing time for our business of sports media. Skip Bayless being on TV every day is one. Uh, LeVar Ball being the attraction that he was for about a year is is number two. Now, Text line can tell us what three, four, and five is, but uh, that's definitely one and two. Well, and the difference, I think, in this situation between LeVar Ball and Carl Williams, right, is Carl Williams is just answering people's questions, right? He's getting calls from Pete Thamel and Bruce Feldman and what have you, and he's telling them where the situation is. LeVar Ball was the type of guy that inserted himself into the situation. LeVar Ball was the guy that could not allow his sons to be in the public eye and succeed as athletes and make headlines without having to be a part of the narrative somehow. Yeah. What's the uh, text line saying over there? Uh, Mark Hudson in the 1988 Orange Bowl, the fumble ruski. That's, oh, yeah. that's what everybody's saying yeah. on the text line with regard to the last uh, fat guy touchdown on offense. So... Well, that's been way too long, uh, way too long since the last fat guy touchdown. So let's go. Maybe th- that'll be an off-season topic for us. We'll break down all the fat guys on the team and say which fat guy should be the one that gets to score the touchdown this year. There you go. I mean, hey, uh, the the OU Texas games they seemingly get weirder and weirder as the years go on. Man, uh, maybe the ending this year is a fat guy touchdown for OU to win in overtime, something like that, right? The fat guy scorability index—that's what we're going to be working on throughout the off season. <laughs> Eddie, or excuse me, Mark in Newcastle asks. His contact says maybe Eddie Murphy, but he hmm. he signs his text as Mark in Newcastle. So. I'm going to refer to him as Mark. So, Mark wants to know who are the top remaining high school recruits we're targeting for signing day and how many will they look to sign. So, several guys right now in that contingent. Number one, the guy that they just hosted this past week in the five-star offensive tackle, Josh Connolly Jr. Now, the Oklahoma staff has made multiple visits over the last week or so uh, to see another five-star lineman that is currently uncommitted, Devin Campbell, who is going to decide between OU and Texas on National Signing Day. I feel good about OU's chances with Devin Campbell. And I know there's some confidence from the Texas camp as well, but, man, 
I really like where OU sits for him. And I think if you had to take your pick between Connerly and Campbell as to which guy Oklahoma has a better chance of getting, it's definitely Campbell in my mind. I think there's a very realistic chance he's a Sooner a couple weeks from now. Yeah. Now, well, well, yeah. Well, no, no, go ahead and finish that thought. Yeah, no, I was, I was just going to move on to the couple guys that they're hosting on official visits this weekend are Mason Thomas and Ahmad Moten, the Cardinal Gibbons teammates, both defensive linemen. Thomas is more of an edge guy, Moten an interior guy. Uh, the thing to be leery of with regard to that situation, OU looks to be in a really strong position to land those two, but they are both taking an official visit to Miami on January 28th. So if they want to stay close to home, Mario Cristobal's program might offer them the opportunity to do that. I, I saw this on uh, your website, OUinsider.com. Who's the five-star backer that's visiting this weekend? Anthony Hill hmm. out of Denton Ryan High School. That dude is a stud. Yeah, it it is it is no accident that he is a five star, and it's one of those recruitments where it's still kind of tough to get a read on what exactly he's thinking. But he's made multiple visits to Oklahoma already. We know Brent Venables' reputation and his penchant for linebacker development. He's coached four Butkus Award winners, including one you'll hear on the airwaves here in about half an hour in Teddy Lehman. So. Uh, I think Venables will have a very, very strong standing in that recruitment as things wind down for Anthony Hill because OU was already in a good position with him, I think all the more so with Brent Venables as your new head coach. Yeah, I, look, there, there's a lot of things that I think are going to change with this program. I think linebacker recruiting is, I, I mean, how could it how could it not get better? You just mentioned four Buckus winners. To my knowledge, there's not an assistant coach out there that is coached for Butkus winners out there. Is there a there, there's is there a coach out there that's coached uh, had four national award winners like the same award? I mean, maybe there is one out there, but probably few and far between. The point is, is that has it been tough in the past for OU to get a linebacker from LSU? Sure, especially when LSU throws a bag. Has it been tough to to get a linebacker maybe from Georgia or you get the idea teams in the SEC? Sure, and I'm I'm going to guess it's probably going to continue to be tough, but man, OU's got an edge that no other school has right now, which is huge in linebacker recruiting. It's like, "Hey man, I got skins on the wall. I've coached four Buckus Award winners in my lifetime, and a lot of other guys that were really good at the position. So, when you're talking about guys like Anthony Hill, it's no surprise that OU's got a got a chance in this, just because you threw out the name Brett Vittables, man. You're going to have a chance in in a lot of those situations. Yeah, you by really the way, are. If you want all the intel that uh, Tyler and I can't say on air here on the Ref Sports Radio Network, head over to OUinsider.com for less than ten dollars a month. You can get the complete scoop from myself and Brandon Drum on everything that's going on within the locker room as well as on the recruiting trail. So definitely worth purchasing a subscription to, especially in light of all the recent developments surrounding Jackson Dart, Michael Trigg, and the behemoth that is portal season. Well, uh, should we be talking about another Jackson that's kind of in the in the news right now? Jackson Arnold, 2023 quarterback. Looks like uh, OU might be sitting uh, pretty well for him. And, and we can talk about that, but it's just kind of interesting is we've just been so locked into the portal, and then we're going to look up in a couple weeks, Parker, and say, oh my God, I forgot about the 2022 class. It's signing day number two for the 2022 class. Let me scroll and make sure that OU's a top 10 class, and They've got some targets out there that are left. Um, certainly some uh, some commits out there or some one-time commits out there that you might feel good about. In terms of OU ending up in a top 10 class, I yeah, I, I sit here today and still feel pretty good about that. As, as do I. And I'll go out on a limb here. I think by the spring game, 
by the time the spring game rolls around, Oklahoma will have their quarterback in the class of 2023 committed, and I think it will be either Jackson Arnold or Jaden Rashada. And I know Oklahoma has thrown its hat in the ring in the Arch Manning sweepstakes and not really sure what to make of that quite yet. But both those guys, Arnold and Rashada, Arnold's already taken a campus visit. Rashada will take a campus visit, so there's some familiarity there. And I really think that this is going to be the kind of thing where <laughs> Oklahoma is just going to take whoever commits first. If that's Arnold, great. If it's Rashada, great. If Arch Manning calls Jeff Levy tonight and says, hey, I want to come play at Oklahoma, they're obviously going to take him. But that's uh, that's my prediction for where things sit right now is I do think by the spring game you will have your answer as to who Oklahoma's quarterback in the class of 2023 is going to be. Yeah, and we've seen this recently. There's just such a big advantage to getting your quarterback, getting your guy in a class so early on because a lot of times the best recruiter that you can have is the quarterback that, that's already committed. I mean, say what you want about Caleb Williams, right? But that was certainly the case for Caleb Williams a couple of years ago. And, and how about Spencer Rattler? Yeah, and that's some of the guys that they were class. able to bring in. Yeah, I, it, it's crazy how the amount of momentum a class thing can get when it gets that big-time quarterback and starts you know, recruiting some some running backs or some wide receivers or tight end or, or, or whatever it is. If you can get that dude in a class early, you got a chance to set yourself up pretty nicely in the, in the following months. It's exactly. A, it's, it's a big deal. And that's, I, think, I think that's why Oklahoma is casting a wider net when it comes to quarterbacks than they did during the Muleshoe era is because they want to be able to have several options on the table and they want to be able to be ready to take whoever commits first. And then at that point, you put the onus on that guy to start recruiting the class around him. And guys will follow a quarterback. Yeah, no doubt. Anything else on the text line before we hit a break here? Let's take a look here. Love the show. Y'all are great and appreciate the info. Thanks for getting the show going. Uh, I, I thought that there was going to be a but after that. I was just waiting for a but <laughs> nope, after just that. Straight Thank love. you. I appreciate that. That was that was a nice text, Mom. I appreciate that. Just straight love. Um, one of our listeners says, Parker, you may have covered this already, but are you still 60 to 70% sure that Dart and Trig end up as Sooners? Yeah, I don't think that has changed from yesterday. I would, st- I would still say 65-35 between OU and Ole Miss. I'm confident in OU's chances. I know there is confidence on the Ole Miss side as well. But – especially given that Brent Venables made the in-home. And I just I trust Brent Venables to close that deal, you know? And, again, as I mentioned earlier in the week, the culture at Oklahoma just seems way more conducive to the personality the guy like Jackson Dart carries than Ole Miss and Lincoln. What, what is his personality, just, just for those qu- that don't know? Just quiet demeanor, goes about his business, is uber competitive when he gets on the football field, but he's not a diva. He's not a diva. And... I think that's another encouraging direction that Oklahoma's headed in with regard to the quarterback room is <laughs> I, I was told this word for word by somebody close to the program over the weekend about Dylan Gabriel. They said Dylan Gabriel is one of the nicest, most genuine human beings you will ever meet. And Oklahoma has had some divas in the quarterback room over the last few years. That, that person didn't name names. They just said Oklahoma's had some divas at quarterback. He's the farthest thing from a diva. Well, hey, I think Ole Miss's head coach is a diva, all right? Like, if you want to compare the head coaches and, you know, Jackson Dart may be making his decision more on Jeff Lebby than he is Brent Venables, I have no idea. But if you just want to compare the head coach at Ole Miss versus the head coach at Oklahoma, 
Um, it, you're going to be pretty hard-pressed to find two different personalities out there trying to run a football team. Just and saying. There, and there's no guarantee that Lane Kiffin's back at Ole Miss in 2022 or 2023. Well, he's been actively for a couple months now trying to get out of there. So I, if it, something is available to him, he'll be out on the first thing smoking. I can guarantee you that. I just I still find it hard to believe that an NFL head coach is going to want to hire him, but I guess we'll find out here in about the next 10 days or so if that's reality or not for old Lane Train. Just saying. 405-651-3439 is the Air Comfort Solutions text line. More to come next. It's Locked In on the Ref. We are the Homeless Sooner fans.
Welcome back. Locked in with McComas and Thune. And if for some reason you have a uh, drink in your hand right now at uh, 2.30 Central on a Wednesday afternoon. Hey, no judgment here. No, Hey, no judgment whatsoever. But go ahead and pour that out for uh, our good buddy Tate Martell. Yeah, we all remember him. The Ohio State, Miami, UNLV. He had stops at all three of those collegiate destinations. Uh, he's retired from football, Parker, and he never started one game at the collegiate level. So, Tate Martell, uh, internet sensation, if you want to call him that, coming out of high school. Uh, he was on the QB1 documentary, correct? On Netflix? Yes, he was. And he came into Ohio State with a lot of hype and, yeah, never started a game of quarterback. Too bad for Tate Martell. Okay, so let's think here. He was committed to Washington originally. Then he was committed to Texas A&M. Then he signed with Ohio State. Then he transferred to Miami. Then he transferred to UNLV. Couldn't even crack it at UNLV. And now is retired from football. Hey, but he's doing like business opportunities. Right? I know. Whoever whoever tweeted, it must have been his agent that tweeted that. They're like, you're going to want to watch out for what Tate Martell is doing business-wise <laughs> yeah. because it's about to blow up. Yeah, he's a uh, big... Okay, pardon gonna, me if I have a hard time believing that because Tate Martell's football career was supposed to blow up too. It blew up, just not in the way he might have expected it to. Yeah, he's going to become a professional in something other than sports. He's that old NCAA commercial that we used to see all the time about a decade ago. So, yeah, good luck, old Tate. Good luck. We're rooting for you. Uh, I hope you come a massive success in the world of business. Really pulling for you. And hopefully uh, you got a degree uh, since you went to Ohio State, Miami, and UNLV. Hopefully you got some uh, college credits along the way there. He is allegedly a University of Miami grad, so there oh, you nice. go. Oh, nice. Very good, very good. Uh, mentioned it earlier, you know, we, we were talking, what, two weeks ago, is, is OU going to be good with Marvin Mims? Are they going to be good with, with Theo Weiss, with Mario Williams entering in the portal? Wide receiver depth was looking, eh, you know, not so great a couple weeks ago. But OU tweeted out uh, a picture today, meshing with Schmitty, tweeted out some pics from a workout today. Theo Weiss was in the background. I think Marvin Mims tweeted out something about it. Um, it goes without saying, but got to bring it up. I looks like those two guys are, are, are here to stay and, and ready to go. They're staying. They're staying and nothing to worry about anymore with those two. Of course, there was all that buzz circa December, mid-December, I suppose, that Marvin Mims was looking at entering the transfer portal. At the end of the day, I think it was Jeff Lebby's offense and the promise of the production that can come via being the number one receiver in a Jeff Lebby offense that convinced Marvin Mims to come back because he was underutilized in 2021. That's not a secret. That is something that literally everyone would agree on, whether an OU fan or not. Marvin Mims should have gotten the ball a lot more than yeah. he did in 2021. And it's no coincidence that historically, when Marvin Mims gets the ball, the Sooners' offense thrives. Yeah, especially when they're giving him chances down the field. And I, Marvin, if you want to talk about underutilized players last year, like let's let's start the conversation with, with Marvin Mims, right? And he doesn't need to be wide open behind the defense to be effective for this offense. We no. saw it in the Texas game. The guy can have one-on-one -on -one coverage right on his hip, even when he's not open. He's open. He, he's going to go make plays for you. So as underutilized as he was last season. I think he's going to have a much better season in 2022. Um, I think the offense is going to be better than it was last year. But, Parker, I think that they're going to give him more chances down the field, which, in my opinion, is where he has really thrived as a wide receiver so far at OU. 
he's a downfield weapon. He really is, and he's got the breakaway speed. He creates separation. And the ball skills that he has for a guy his size are off the charts. He plays so much bigger than he is at right about 5'11", 6 feet tall. And so you saw his potential in 2020, and the reality that, hey, you get that guy in space and you get the ball to him, he's going to go and make a play. He'll go make a play for you. Yeah. And that just wasn't there outside of the Texas game, really, for Marvin Mims in 2021. And you saw in the bowl game, hey, just get that guy running down the field, and he's going to beat somebody. You put the ball on him, again, he's going to make a play. And as you look at the production that the wide receiver one in Jeff Levy's offenses has produced over the years, you would safely assume that Marvin Mims is due for 70-plus catches and 1,000-plus yards. Next yeah, year. yeah. I, it was just weird seeing these wide receivers struggle so much this season because we've kind of, if you want to use the word spoiled, that's fine, but we've gotten so used to, we don't know who it might be you know, before some years, but you always know that someone is going to emerge. Um, you had Shep. Sterling Shepard had a great year in 2015. And then you go into 2016 and say, who's going to be the guy? Well, D.D. Westbrook wins the Blitnikoff. You go into 2017 and C.D. Lamb's making plays in uh, in Columbus as a true freshman. He's having a great start. But then Marquise Brown evolves into the uh, best big play receiver in all of college football in 2017. Then he's back in 18. C.D.'s back in 18. Like, you get the point. I thought we thought that Marvin Mims was going to elevate his play last year to that of uh, what Shep did in 2015 or what CD did in 2018 or, or some of those other years, and it really didn't happen, man. He, his numbers seemingly, and I know that they played a full season this year, but he, he kind of took a step back, as did the wide receiver room. I expect him, and I, I expected a couple other guys, to have a much, much better season this year. I, I think next year's wide receiver core is going to resemble maybe more of what we've seen in the past compared to compared to last year. Because last year, there's no other way to say it. And wide receiver wasn't the only position that was disappointing on the team, but it was definitely disappointing last season. There, there's no way to get around that. And when you have a guy like Marvin Mims, you find a way to get the ball in his hands, right? Even if that's just on like a slip screen, something like that. And I tell you what, back when C.D. Lamb was in Norman – they did a really good job with that type of thing. Yep. Because 2019 in particular, everybody on that staff, and particularly Lincoln Riley, understood what kind of weapon they had at their disposal in C.D. Lamb, and they just force-fed him the ball by any means necessary. And you got to do the exact same thing with Marvin Mims if you're Jeff Levy. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to, you don't have to make it to where, you know, this is th- scheme-wise, this is what we're going to do. Like, man, I think that there's so many times that these offensive coordinators out there outthink themselves. And there was a quote today, uh, Troy Aikman went on the radio, one of the radio stations down there in Dallas. I can't remember if it was the fan or the ticket, but that's basically what he was saying because CeeDee Lamb had you know, basically no impact on the game on Sunday. It's, you know, these offensive coordinators try to look like the smartest guy in the room and come up with these grand schemes. Like, no, nah, man. Sometimes, if your best player on your team is the, is the wide receiver, just get him the ball and go let him make plays. It's like a basketball game, right? Basketball is really not hard at the end of the day. Whoever your best player is, you just give him the ball and let him go to work. And I think OU really got away this year, and maybe you just want to say that Muleshoe was you know, preparing for his next step 
more than he was the offense that particular week. But I don't think that they did a very good job of just trusting their best players, like in Marvin Mims, and just saying, hey, we're going to force feed you the rock, just go make plays. You know, because they, I guess technically you did that in the Texas game and it, it worked out just fine. It was like the best half of offense that you had the entire regular season. Now you lose Caleb Williams at quarterback, and Dylan Gabriel knows Jeff Levy's system. He's your plug-and-play starter. I don't think that's a question at that point, regardless of whether or not Jackson Dodd does get brought in. I think Dylan Gabriel has taken the snaps, and it's going to be a different flavor of Oklahoma football, and I think it's going to take some getting used to for some people just because the offense is going to operate very differently than Lincoln Riley's offense did, and that's not going to say it's going to be – that's not to say it's going to be any better or any worse in terms of production right off the bat. And I think the reality is that some fans are going to have to be willing to let this offense take its lumps because the Sooners aren't going to run the table next year and go to the college football playoff. They're just not. Not with all this turnover. I mean, they they could probably still win the Big 12. In schedule's fact, pretty crappy next year. But the schedule's been crappy before and they haven't I run mean, the, the table. Big, the Big 12 schedule is always – I mean, you always know what you're bargaining for. And Baylor is playing their best football maybe ever under Dave Aranda. Oklahoma State is going to be competitive again under Mike Gundy. So nothing's going to be handed to Oklahoma in that Big 12 conference. But I think – the expectation that they at least play in the Big 12 championship is reasonable. And that said, though, if that's not the case and Oklahoma Oklahoma only wins eight or nine games, there's got to be a healthy sense of patience from everybody involved <laughs> and a trust that this thing's heading in the right direction under Venables and Levy. So my expectations as a fan going into next year, um, is, is Baylor going to be good again? Sh- sure. Yes. But I, I, I still think that even – with everything that's happened, like I'll, I'll tell you this, I think OU is going to be a better football team than they were last year. I understand the the turnover, I understand the coaching change, but the product that we saw last year, which wasn't very good on a week in week out basis, I think OU is going to be a better football team. So in saying that, my expectation as a fan is, I'm going to win the Big Twelve next year. You know, there, there's been turnover before in the past. There's things that have happened in the past. Like, in my opinion, if OU can lose their starting quarterback in, like, July, August before the season, like they did in 2006, and still find a way to win a Big 12 championship that year with Paul Thompson, then they can find a way to win the Big 12 this year. I will fully expect them to win another conference title. Now, we'll address college football playoff down the line, but, like, Bare expectations this year? Hell yeah, go win the conference again. I definitely think OU is going to be good enough to win the league in 2022. I don't know if you know any of the media members nationally will think that. I don't necessarily care about that. But yeah, OU fans, you should strive and expect, in my opinion, for a Big 12 championship in 2022. And no doubt if that happens, the national media is going to be like, where did this come from? Yeah, the Oklahoma exactly. Sooners? The biggest yeah. surprise of 2022. One final segment of Locked In coming up next.
All right, final segment. Locked in with McComas and Thune. This hour is brought to you by Chapel Supply, and Chapel supplies you. They supply you with the tools to tackle any power washing job, residential or commercial, and they can also service all brands of power washers. Check them out, chapelsupply.com, or in OKC, they're located at 6509 West Reno Avenue. Chapel Supply, Chapel supplies you. Dude, you would have thought that I had uh, just now started watching college basketball last night because I, I guess I forgot that KU not only gets calls in Fog Allen uh, Fieldhouse, but they also get calls on the road. Dude, I was beside myself. 58-55, OU has the lead with uh, a little under three minutes to play, and KU has a guard that just dribbles it right out of bounds with his left hand. Uh-huh. And they give the ball right back to KU, and then Ochai Abaji hits a three to tie it up. I don't know if you were at the game last night oh, or yes, not. Oh, yes, I was. I, don't I know was courtside, and I saw s- that. Dude. I watched Tanner Groves plead with the ref and say, I didn't touch the ball. He Because he didn't. The referee <laughs> was right there. He had the perfect angle for it. People at the game saw it. You saw it courtside. Like, everyone saw it. It was a god-awful call. How do you miss that with under three minutes left in a three-point game? God. I mean, come on, dude. Now, I, I won't sit here and say that it was the single reason why OU lost the basketball game last night. No, but my God, OU was up three, and they get a bad call, and then Ochai Abaji hits a three to tie it. I mean, it's a pretty big play. Just one, of, one of the rare situations in which ball does lie. Yeah, Ball was completely dead wrong and lied. Ball was Jeez. lying like a mule shoe last night. KU uh, yeah, goes on to win 67-64. By the way, Ugh. Tyler, I, I, I dug this up this morning. You remember Alondis Williams? Of course. Yeah, he's having a huge he year. He is averaging 20 points yeah. a game at Wake Forest. Yeah, he's having a huge year. Where did that come from? I, I, I have no idea. Brady's having a decent year at Carolina. Now, they're not any good, and I think they just got punked, was it last night or the night before, by Miami. But, yeah, there's some OU transfers. I think Alondis, didn't he hit a game winner a couple weeks ago? A lot, some, some transfer that OU had, it was Alondis, somebody else. Uh, someone hit a game winner, I think, inside Cameron Indoor. Okay, well, it probably was Alondis. Yeah, then. yeah, it's like, dang, dang man. How but nice would it be to have him back at OU right now? It'd be pretty nice. The, the crowd looked pretty good last night. It was it was the loud. I don't know if it was the biggest crowd I've seen covering OU. It was definitely the loudest. Definitely the loudest. I think it was louder than it was in 2018 when Kansas came wow. to the LNC and Trey Young beat him there. Uh, by the way, Kendall asks on the Air Comfort Solutions text line, how is Parker getting courtside seating? Yeah, what's up with that? <laughs> what's going on? It's because I was shooting the game, Kendall. That would be uh, uh, That would be why. Okay. That is, uh, it's a great seat, but it is the most uncomfortable seat in the house, sitting there on the hard. Or do you have one of those like little uh, chairs that you bring? I wish I did, man. It is very uncomfortable. It's it's not. It's probably not good for your back to be sitting there for two hours at a time, even though you're a uh, even a younger man than I am. But I did love what Porter said last night. It's like, hey, this sucks and it stings, and I want these guys to remember this feeling when you're working out, when you're going into practice. Like, remember. How bad this loss stings, because that's what makes you get better moving forward. So what he didn't say was, we're close? Is Uh, that what I'm hearing? He said the exact opposite of, we're close. The we're close era is, it's out of Norman. We've covered that before. It's a little bit of a different mentality going on in Norman OK right now, head coaching-wise. Which is what needed to happen, just saying. 
But yeah, OU's got a big one on Saturday against Baylor. We'll see if they can bounce back. Um, you had a story, something to the, to the tone of, you know, is, is OU kind of on on edge right now? Is it going to go one Gotta way or the other? Got to get it together real quick. Got to get it together real quick. Yeah, no We're doubt. Turn things around in that Big Twelve. Did you say hi to uh, Marlins man last night? By the way, no, I, I saw him there, there though. I haven't seen him since the College World Series in 2016. No, he's been kind of absent. He's, the past I know he's been years. reclusive, but he was back. All right, that'll do it for us. The rush coming up next, right here on the ref. We are the Homeless Sooner fans.